everyone. Welcome to Underground Magnolia Podcast, Elevated Entertainment with me, the one and only Desiree Valto in the whole wide world. On this episode of Underground Magnolia Podcast, I'm chatting with real estate broker Caitlin Coakley, who will break down the complicated real estate market that's been hot for sellers, but has put buyers in a tailspin. Based in the greater Seattle area, Caitlin is a third-generation realtor with 15 years of experience. She even obtained her real estate license in Washington State while still in high school. This go-getter has since risen through the ranks to found her own real estate company with her family called the Coakley Group and boasts a bevy of clients in the luxury residential market. Additionally, the 2008 University of Washington grad helps new professionals find their first home in the area that is headquarters to Microsoft, Amazon, and Starbucks. She helped my daughter, Simone, buy her first home in early 21, just days before my daughter's 25th birthday. As you know me, I like to get personal, so Caitlin will tell us more about her real estate background and what drives her. We will also discuss her being a young woman of color making it in this tough business, and how her mother of Mexican-Panamanian descent inspires her every day. Let's kick things off by talking about the complex real estate market and how you can arm yourself as a buyer or seller. Thank you for helping my daughter buy her first home right before she turned 25. It seems as though she bought at that right time, right before yeah, no, that, she, the, the market started right. to rise dramatically. Oh, man. It was like the sweet spot. Simone had enormous clarity in what she wanted. And I, you know, so by the time it's like, if we're going to look at something, it's because she's ready to pull the trigger and buy it because it, she knew exactly what she was looking for. And so I wish that some of my other buyers had had that because we're still on the hunt and we're still competing. And when you look at your daughter's investment, because this is, you know, Simone's first portfolio piece, as I like to always call it, she's just off the charts. So bright. Well, I'm like, gosh, I'm going to be scared when you're 30 of what you've caught. I mean, you're like, you're like, gosh, you've got your stuff together for when we started when you were 24. I'm like, she has that it factor, but she just has this mind that's just extraordinary. Um, well, 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 thank you. I attribute that. Yes, to I know. I know. Good <laughs> job, mom. In terms of hitting it right, it's not anything I could have predicted. I knew that we were going to continue to go up because month over month, it had been a story. And it was, it's really like, I'm not trying to force people to buy things, but it's like, I wanted her to realize that if this is the one, we have to jump. Most of the time to my buyers, it's like, Uh-oh. you're going feel like you overpaid because guess what? This is the most expensive and fastest rising housing market in the U.S. But I would always tell them, don't look at national news because we're in a bubble. We're in this tech bubble where we have so many people coming here and there's nowhere for them to live that's affordable. There's nowhere. We have a housing crisis in terms of there's nowhere affordable. I think Simone made an incredible investment and it's going to, I mean, it's appreciated. In terms of what, what Simone purchased, and in the area, we were at a time period where I looked back in my notes, you know, when we were, when she was purchasing, 71% of the homes that were listed, they were all in multiple offer situations. And so we got lucky that we only had one other offer that was being, that she was competing against. 
you know, now it's like, I have, I have clients that are paying $500,000 over something I would never advise. And I don't, it's like that, that is so over the market and neighborhood value. And I say this to my clients because I actually want to have their business and their loyalty for a lifetime. That's the difference between me and another broker. It's like, I'm going to tell you in writing, Hey, this is what it checks out to be. The comp, they're crazy. Here they are. If I'm going to look at you in the eye and say, I could absolutely resell that for you in two years at, for more, I would be lying. We're not going to go into a recession in the housing market. Uh, we're in a bubble for certain. Does it, nationally, it rose nationally. It rose way more here. But we're going to reach a, a peak of price of appreciation where we can't, it's going to combust. There, it'll go down. And there will be right. a moment of we're going to have a shift in the market where buyers are actually going to be on top, which I can't wait. And sellers, sellers aren't going to be able to be so greedy. We're looking at Redfin and we're looking at Zillow and, and other oh, yeah. sites that tell us what our home buyers are worth. And I'm like mm-hmm. doing a double and a triple take. But, you yeah. know, but how accurate are the prices that we are seeing now? You know, I live in Southern California. So if I'm looking at something that says, for example, your house is now worth $1.5 million, but before COVID, it might have been 700000 but it's gone up like so much. Right. How realistic, what's the percentage do you really want to look at? If every market's different, you're in a market that is very similar to the Seattle area market. I right. love it when I have right. uh, clients that come from come from Southern California because there's not as much sticker shock and they're honestly like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is quite affordable. To be very honest, it is Zillow. Do not trust Zillow. It is Zestimate and that's merely an algorithm. So, so they've never been inside your home. They haven't seen the upgrades that you've done or the, you know, accessory dwelling unit that you've put in the backyard that adds enormous value, or they don't see the view, which adds 20% premium. They haven't so Zillow and, and there's on there's an IDX problem with Zillow. So it doesn't populate in general to that website correctly. Now I'm not saying Zillow is bad. Zillow is a is a wealth of information. And I if you want to buy leads as a broker, that's your thing. Go buy leads from Zillow. I personally don't practice that type of real estate. Redfin is a better estimate because it goes more on the comparable properties for the Redfin estimate. But with that said, the best indicators if you want to know without having, like, I would never do a CMA, a comparative market analysis on your home, Desi, because I'm not an area expert. So I would be doing you a disservice. Or if I was telling somebody up here, looking at like going on Redfin and, you know, typing in your address, claiming your home, right? And knowing that if you add pictures to that listing, or if you start filling out and editing the home details, there will be people that will be, there will be buyers that will be contacting you because they think that, oh, this homeowner is going to be listing. If this is for sale, right? But you should look at the comparables in your neighborhood that are, they should be reaching. Those are where you really see the comparables is really where you see peak pricing. But yeah, I mean, we've had appreciation just from year over year from last year here, 38% of price appreciation, which is really unheard of. And I know your area has had, if not more, a very similar comparable. And, and this it is like, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. If you get your home ready the right way to go to, to sell, but also I will tell you this, where are you go? I always said this to my clients that want to sell their home. Where are you going to go? Because unless you're moving out of state and you've got a home locked up, 
where are we going to place you? There's nowhere for you to live. Are you going to rent? Or it's not just about, yeah, I'm going to sell your home for max dollar. Well, sure. Of course I am. It's the best time to sell right now. But if you don't have a place to go, we have a problem, especially your market, my market, Arizona. There are certain areas. New York has rebounded big time in their luxury market with really absurd numbers. Never seen it that high before. But the rest of the housing market, I mean, the average price point is about $363,000. My median price point is, you know, the highest, you know, it's at King County is eight hundred and eight fifty, and that's a lot. Seattle's nine hundred, and then East Side is one point five million dollars at the end of the day. It's stupid. But it's just it's going to continue. And that's the thing that people don't maybe realize is that it's not going anywhere, at least in our hyper local markets. It's just gonna get more expensive. And the bidding wars are going to get worse come the new year. And there's going to be more new buyers in town with more cash. You know, everyone has got cash. What general tips would you give people who are thinking that they need to buy right now? They have to buy. Be patient. Everyone that has a buyer consult with me, they have a laundry list of items of things that they want. And by, by showing one or two, I have taken all of those items in my own box and said, okay, these are the three things, but be willing that are most important, right? But be willing to be patient, be willing to compromise and know that you are going to overpay for whatever asset. There's no deal right now in real estate. The deal is getting the home, you know? And that's the biggest thing I can tell, tell people is that well, you got a home and, and, and my goal as a, your realtor is to make sure that you don't get railroaded and that you're in a place that you're so, that you're not cash poor. You know, my ideal client is, they're either single and then two years from now, they, they call me and they go, I met somebody. Great. I want to, I, my first piece is um, not big enough. So we're going to hold that. We're going to find a new place. Great. We find a new place. Then they end up having a kid a year later. Right. And then we end up needing to buy the family a home. And then sometimes they get divorced. Sometimes they're like, we've gotten twins. And so it's inherently, you know, or somebody dies, something like where there's all these situations, but it's a family thing or they, they're single and they get a place and they end up splitting. And so that's kind of, it's kind of life and it's kind of what happens. But in this market, you're not going to feel, and that's hard for buyers to understand is that if you want to put the best forward, you're going to have to listen to these nasty instructions that I'm going to tell you. And sometimes it takes one or two deals for them to, one or two failed offers for them to understand like, oh, Caitlin, and they're never, they're never going to say this, that Caitlin was right. But it was, these are terms that are, is going to win you the home. And because and, I don't play to lose, I just don't. And that's the thing is if you want to play to win, but you have to be willing to trust me and the process because there's just not enough homes for what we have. Yeah, I would say, and then and I would say to have enormous clarity, the buyer has to have enormous clarity in what they're, what they're willing to sacrifice on. And, and I would say location is the most important thing. Even if you want to be really deep, well, can, how, does that, how does that zip code fare? in appreciation. Oh, okay. So it really goes down and does a nosedive. I'm their advocate. You know, if they, at the end of the day, want to say, I don't want to listen to you, whatever. Okay, that's fine. Call me in three years when you want to get out and you're underwater. In my back of my head, I'm thinking, like, (laughs) smart, you know, like, come on, think about this, guys. But it's sometimes it's painful to watch. But for the most part, I mean, you know, all my clients are, are extremely smart, but it's just trying to guide them in the best direction without being steering them, right? Right. (laughs) And are there special considerations in this market when you are looking in different zip codes 
a, like a condo versus a house or it doesn't really Yeah, no, matter. so we've had, it does. And so we had the condo market, it suffered greatly. And I'm not saying on the east side, I'm saying in Seattle, it suffered greatly with our pandemic. So when the pandemic happened, people fled their penthouses in downtown Seattle, their condos in downtown Seattle, because it suddenly was like, oh my God, I'm in an elevator with people. And we didn't have the vaccine bag. And it was like, this is creepy. And I feel so not safe. And so they fled in droves. And so the condo market suddenly saw this. It was a saturation of like, oh my gosh, we have so many people that are putting their home up for sale. There's six and a half months of inventory. Six and a half months of inventory means it's a balanced market, right? So that means, but what it really means is that you could go beat up somebody that's a condo owner in terms of, I like to say beat up, but like you could really go get a great deal because these sellers that were on the market, they were competing with half their building. And so it's like, well, which one do you want to pick? With that said, the Seattle market has rebounded in a good way. So condos, I would say, again, there's, Deals to be had very, very sparingly. I mean, you can, you're always going to have to pay top dollar in this market, but there's a little bit more supply. So I've been reading that millennials are the ones who are driving the market, this current market. Mm-hmm. What is your take on that? On the, on the millennials, which you are part of. <laughs> they, yes, I'm a millennial. Millennials are driving the market. And with that said, you know, I mean, the average, the makeup of my buyer, I mean, they're mid 20s to 40. And they're the millennial buyer is always tech. You know, they're working at Amazon, they're Microsoft, they're Google or Facebook. A lot of them, I get a lot of millennials who have just recently sold their company. And so they have massive amounts of wealth where they've, you know, have this IPO and they get acquired. And so then it's like, let's go spend all my fun money, right? <laughs> But so, but that's what our market looks like is, is that makeup, healthcare. I mean, that's recession proof, right? And so and it continues to be where it's like, there's, that is my, the ideal demographic, but millennials are a hundred percent driving the market. And it's, but the, the problem with the millennials is that they, the prices that we are experiencing have made it so that it's unaffordable for them to get into a house. And we're talking we're talking like 600 to 850. I'm not talking about 1.5 millennials. That's not their first home. That may be their second or third home for 600 to 800,000. And they're getting outbid by somebody who's coming in with cash at a million bucks. How can they compete with that? How do they compete with that? You know, and so that's been the most frustrating part is that the millennials are feeling driven out and having to go, when you go up and down the I-5 corridor, you know, it's like, wow, we have to go all the way down to different county, like Pierce County, which is, regardless if we're ever going to go back to work or not, we look to the beacons, we look to the, you know, the Microsoft, we look to the Amazon. What is leadership telling them there? Because if they're going to go back to work, then that's what everybody else follows, truly, up here. So commute is not as big as a factor as it was, where it's like, there's no way that, for example, your daughter would have ever picked Pierce County, even if it was a smoking deal, because it would have been three hours in the car round trip. I mean, you know, just every day, three and a half to four hours, right. just for and back. And that's not a life work-life balance many of my buyers want. So it's, it's pushed some of the millennials out of the market. And I'm not saying it's sad. It's just a pause. 
because eventually they'll be able to get back in the market. It's just about waiting about 18 months for that to happen. So how do you forge ahead with COVID? Um, Many people thought that the virus would be behind us. So how do you plan for the future? There is one of two agents that existed when COVID began. There was an agent who forged ahead who said, we're going to iterate our business because I still, I mean, my clients are millennials. They said, due to COVID, we don't care. We still are proceeding with our search, with our home, even during the period where my government, where my um, governor said, it is non-essential. He made that announcement on March 23rd. I'll never forget where I was. (laughs) March 23rd, 2020. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I have three pendings. I mean, it was my, the COVID was my best year, 2020. And I feel bad for saying that, but I worked so hard. With that said, he then five days later said, it's not, it, it is essential, by the way. We're going to deem real estate essential. So there was one of two brokers that existed. It was, we're going to forge ahead. We're going to be, we're going to use all of the safety techniques that have been given to us. Because if you disobey them and you have more than three people in a gathering without masks and without gloves, then we take it away real quick. We take it all away. Or it was the agent who was like, I'm not going to sell. Woe is me. I'm going to just tell my clients it's not a great time. But guess what? The market continued to fire. And it was like, we had a blip in March where it was like, I'm hoping, you know, and, and my buyers kept me going. I mean, they're fast. They're furious. For me, to be very honest, I mean, I was very paranoid about bringing this home. My dad, you know, is high risk. And so I was always concerned about, I need to be the safest and very methodical, but also I got tested every week until, you know, until we got the vaccine. So it was like, I have like 40 COVID tests on my, on my, on my, (laughs) because I was terrified. I would walk into the door before, for example, your daughter were to ever see the home. I would have everything Clorox, all of the door handles. Hey, please let's not touch the door handles mode. And because I was, you know, I'm fearful for, and without being fearful, but just saying, while it looked like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this for kicks, it's like, no, I'm terrified for either one of us to be, to br- get this virus. And, you know, now right. that we vaccinated, but, but I wanted to protect each of them. But COVID continues to, new rules continue to come with, with COVID and with real estate. I don't see it slowing down anytime soon in terms of people have figured out, hey, this is what we're going to do. There's not, not a lot of open houses anymore, which I think is safe, to be honest. But if you have a broker, it's follow the protocol and or else we don't get to see homes anymore. That's the alternative. I'm loving what Caitlin is putting down. Let's keep it going with the millennial realtor explaining her passion for real estate and how her family is the backbone to her success. Later, she also has a few words for those who are interested in the real estate business. And let me tell you, it's not for those just out to earn big bucks. I began this immersion into real estate with my father being a developer. You know, my mother was in residential real estate. So I really grew up in this household where it was permeated in my head, where it was, we're on job sites or we're selling luxury homes. And I knew I had at a young age, I just, I knew it was my calling. To speak to my experience, you know, I began at 16 working as an intern and I asked my parents, I said, I, I never want to work for you because I want to know that I'm good at what I do. Right. So I knew I needed to learn. And this was always just something that I, I observed is you really want to be a great broker. 
you need to learn the back of the house, especially. And that's the operations and that's involved. And so I worked for a number of brokers until I graduated high school. And I got my license before I graduated high school at 17, back when you still could in Washington State. But I did go to the University of Washington. I graduated in four years and with a degree in communications. They didn't have a specialty at that point of real estate marketing or real estate, the emphasis on real estate with communications, but now they do. And so I knew that I wanted to be in operations and learn the back of the house, the back, you know, I called the back of the house before I ever wanted and I had an aspiration to be, so to speak, my own brand or my own, have my own business. And so I worked for someone for three and a half years. His name's Mark Bonderberg. He's well known in our area and he'll, he's an incredible, he's an incredible teacher to me. I consider him one of my first mentors, but I, I learned the luxury market from him and furthermore, how to build a team. Um, we had a small team around us when we started, but it was learning from these really high level luxury brokers about what the luxury customer expects. And, and also to not, you know, there's a whole emphasis of how do I get into the luxury market? It's uh, you can't you fake it till you make it. Not really with a luxury customer. You really have to know your stuff. And so I worked in ten for ten years in operations for a variety, three different brokers. They're all different skill sets. And at the last one, I built a team. You know, we had three agents, and we grew it massively. Uh, you know, we we scaled too fast. It was 21, 21 brokers by the end, and that's one of the, my biggest career achievements. But it was really when in 2018 that I decided I'm at the pinnacle of, or sorry, 2017, I'm at the pinnacle of my real estate operations career, at least in the state. I mean, I'm, I'm bored, right? I'm bored of my right. job. Wasn't finding, yes, we were building this team, but we had achieved this massive growth. So what am I going to do? And you know, when people find that you're successful at something, they may put ideas in your head. And so I was always told that I had the operations mindset and that I couldn't, I didn't fit the, the profile type of a salesperson. And so I was told over and over by certain maybe past bosses or even ex-husband or you know, certain people that you can't do it. You couldn't own your own business and be a broker and be a salesperson. And I hate that word salesperson because that's not what I, I don't ever want my client to feel like they're being sold. So in 2018, I, I was like, I'm going to leap in a big way and I'm going to open up my own business under Windermere, who's my brokerage. And they're very, you know, they're, they have the most market share here, but just great leadership. And uh, so I, I started working. I mean, it was terrifying. I was, I was like jumping off a cliff. I, like, where am I going to get my clients from? Well, wait, Caitlin, you already have them. They're right in front of you. They're your sphere of influence, you know? But it was, uh, it's been one of the most amazing experiences and I'm just, you're going into really fourth year of it fully immersed in it. And I just can't believe it took me this long to really understand. I mean, just to, to have my own business. You were saying that people were saying that, well, you know, you can't be this real estate broker, real estate agent. You can't have your own business. What do you attribute that to? Do you attribute that to being a woman and being a young woman of color? Absolutely. You know, I attribute it to, okay, you can only, you can test all you want for personality types of how I've done a ton of behavioral assessments. And I did that when I was hiring people, but definitely because I was a woman, you know, I would have these very egotistical braggadocious male leaders that I worked for or that I worked with, or that I was married to that 
didn't like to see a woman succeed. And you have a lot of that where it's kind of like they put your thumb on you and they're just kind of trying to smash you down. Like I have an enormous amount of passion for what I do. And it's either you get me or you don't. And my customer, my clients, they get it. And so I think when someone wants to you know, put that idea in your head and it sticks, when you're told you can't do something, it's like then your doubt starts creeping in and geez, maybe I shouldn't be in real estate. Maybe I should stay in the back of house, you know, the back of the house, I like to call it, or operations my entire career and not really experience helping really on the front line, helping my customer. But I would say definitely as a woman of color, I am treated so differently when I walk into a boardroom of builders than if a guy, you know, same qualifications, white male would be. And and my father, I come from a family where my father is white. And he has this reputation of this in this industry. He's Joe Coakley, incredible. And I walk in, I'm Hispanic. I got my mom's skin coloring. You know, I'm still my dad's daughter, but I got my mom's skin coloring. And so when I don't, you know, I'm Coakley. Coakley is the last name that comes to derive from Ireland. And so, you know, I walk in and I mean, the moment I walk in, I'm already looked at as a wonder what this pretty girl has to say. I bet she's got no brain. And so... You know, it's, it's going in there and it's knowing more, more than them and the holes in their business that when I speak, and I usually get one, and it's terrible to say this, this still exists. And I'm not the only woman that was in the commercial world trying to break in while my dad still wants to keep working and giving me his business. But it's, it's a boys club. And I'm talking about sexual harassment. I'm talking about not treating me as though I have a mind. And so it's, it's being really tough. And excuse my French, but sometimes you have to be a bitch to do that in this crowd. But it's being the only woman at that boardroom and having the smartest zinger at the end to say or to put them back into reality. Your mom, you were saying, was also in the business. So what did she teach you? How did she teach you as a woman of color herself, teaching her daughter how to survive in this man's world of a real estate business? She deals with a lot of a lot more so with, you know, the builder aspect. So my father would go and you know sell this plot of land to this builder and then would negotiate, you know, and it's very common, would negotiate that Cindy is my mom's name. So I call Cindy and Joe just for professional. We do, I've called them that since I was 16 because of professional reasons. So it's not, right. but you know, people are like, wow, this girl, that, this girl is fresh. It's like, no, I really, that's just how we do it. And so Cindy has been accustomed to getting this big plot of land and being the woman who has to get the sales team in order, and she's the one in charge. And so for her, she's always taught me that you can do anything with grace and with humility, and that sometimes you may not like, and it's not like, I mean, she's a tough one. I mean, she's especially across the negotiation table, but she fights for what she knows is right, and she doesn't give in to perhaps the games that builders will play. I mean, my mom is a very seasoned agent, She's a little bit less passionate than I am in perhaps negotiations where I'm like really fiery and sometimes, hey, Caitlin, you may be blowing, you may be blowing the deal. Let's let Cindy handle it. You know, this, we were on a plot together last year. And so she's very, you know, her experience has made her know when to shut up kind of thing and know when it's enough to fight for. And she's a really strong figure in my life. And I, you know, if I'm half the agent that she is by, by her age and she looks nothing like 60, but she is. I will be really proud of myself because I've carried myself with with grace, dignity, and also doing the right thing. And what advice would you give to someone who is interested in being an agent? And my advice would be be prepared to 
if you can handle rejection, so being knocked down 20 times and knowing that the 21st time you may get knocked down or you could have, you could have a yes. And I'm, I'm saying this not just for sales. I'm saying like, you have to be tenacious to be in this business and you have to love what you do and love the practice of it. And a lot of realtors that are young that want the quick money, it's not ever a quick buck. And it's also the client can smell it out if you're wanting to just close them on a commission type of thing. Get in it for the right reasons. I'm in it because I, I want to help somebody achieve home ownership. And that's a really powerful moment in somebody's life. Like it gives me chills. When I gave some owner keys, it was like, and she was so excited to start crying. And I just, it was just a moment of like, this is why I'm doing, why I do what I do is to have this precious special moment with this woman who's just achieved this milestone and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget where we were. We had a toast after. It was just, it was the most special thing. And that's literally, I mean, I I get to do this for a living. And so it's being people's advocates, but if it's a really dynamic career, but it's tough. So you have to be willing to work harder than anyone else and not look at the other person that's working beside you because that's when you start comparing yourself. You have this right. syndrome because if the minute I start pulling this guy's numbers up to the office as late as me, that's the minute I've lost focus on my own business. So it's, right. it's like focus on your lane, focus on your clients, and it will eventually come back to you. And the biggest thing is referrals. You know, I just, I'm, my whole business is sustained on referrals. So it's, if you want to be in this business, I would say the biggest thing I could give you is go and work for somebody else for a year, be their intern, get paid for it. I don't believe it. I mean, I, I believe in paying somebody for their time, but really get to know that you're not going to have weekends forever. You're not going to have, right. you're not going to have evenings. That's what you give up. I mean, when somebody invites me to a party on Saturday night, I'm, I'm comically laughing. Like, don't you remember I'm in real estate? Like I go to bed at 9 PM on Saturdays because that's my go time. Right. And people right. Think it's weird. <laughs> no, it's not. Not if I mean, I don't come to a showing where I'm not fully ready to go because my clients, that's what they deserve. But if you can get over and people are just, they think, oh, you have to work nights and weekends. Well, yeah, because my clients are working full time, you know, big day jobs and they have this little time period and I better know what I'm showing them because if I don't, I'm wasting their time and boom, they're onto the next broker. So I would just say, know that this is 24 seven, that you are on all the time. And know that oftentimes the people that you work for are really high maintenance and that if you can take that and then be a value, show them that you're a value, which takes probably five years, <laughs> you know, to really, you have to be willing to learn from people. And there's a lot of people in our business that are egomaniacs or that got a couple great deals. And it, it, that is not all it is. It's about the art of the deal. It's the art of how you inherently have this relationship with your customer and can help them long after they've settled in. And that's what I look at. So just be ready to dig in, be ready to work really, really hard and not have a deal closed for six months. The average agent lasts two years in this industry before they decide to bail out. That's it. Two years. They give it two years. Wow. That's it. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. So when I see an agent that's new, I'm always like, well, I think you're great. I think your personality is great, but you will see if you can kind of hack it almost. So it's like, I've been in this business for 15 years, had my license since I was 17. I'm not going anywhere. Thanks, Caitlin Coakley, for all of your real estate knowledge. And thanks again for helping my daughter buy her first home 
and for making the process seamless, professional, and enjoyable. You can reach Caitlin at thecoakleygroup.com. That's thecoakleygroup.com. Coakley is spelled C-O-A-K-L-E-Y. Again, that's thecoakleygroup.com. For more information on this episode, please go to undergroundmagnolia.com. That's undergroundmagnolia.com. Just click on this show and all info will be there. While on my website, you will also see all of my podcast episodes, which can be heard wherever you listen to podcasts. So please listen, rate, and review them. Email me with anything at contact at undergroundmagnolia.com. Again, that's contact at undergroundmagnolia.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at UMPodcastDV. Again, that's UMPodcastDV. Till next time, this is Desiree Valto, the only Desiree Valto on the planet. For Underground Magnolia Podcast, I'm out.